0: You tell yourself, it's only a movie. It's only a movie. But sooner or later, it's time to come home. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. I'm Nick. I'm Ron. We're here to review Puppet Master, starring Paul Lamette. Irene Miracle, Jimmy K. Skaggs, Robin Freights, Matt Rowe, Catherine O'Reilly, and William Hickey. Directed by David Schmoller, but the brains behind this thing is Charles Band. Made in 1989 on a $400,000 budget, straight to video because Band thought it would be more profitable that way, and he wasn't wrong. Ten sequels spawned later, a crossover with the characters of Demonic Toys, and a 2018 quasi-reboot called Puppet Master The Littlest Reich have followed, <laughs> um, all in the wake of this. So we're not going to cover all of those sequels, though I do reserve the right to maybe pop back in on this series from time to time, but we, we're putting together our Shocktober 19 lineup here, and, and for those of you maybe new to filmstrip... This is when we do either a big series of horror movies, or we put together just a bunch of different ones. And this year, we're doing four different films. We've got on some special guests coming up. We're going to talk about all the four that we're doing at the end of the show. But I wanted to kick off with you know, something different. And Nick, you came up with Puppet Master, so please be to say why. Ah, oh, Jay, I really have no idea why
1: (laughs) i kept on seeing this movie i mean if we're gonna go you know we talk about like old horror movies and everything and we've done quite a few and this was always one that i saw in the uh video store you know the old dhs stores where you're walking around the horror um aisle and there was so many of them and i always saw like the covers and they always look kind of interesting but i've never seen it so just kind of brainstorm with you the other day i was just like threw it out i'm like i do puppet master and you know we found most of them free online and you were just like nah i don't know and i'm like come on jay i mean i almost had to kind of twist your arm a little bit but <laughs> you eventually uh you know to see you know you eventually agreed and uh here we are doing it but as far as the real reason why i guess it just comes down to why not
0: that's usually your answer for all of these <laughs> but pretty, it, it, pretty it mo- much and it mostly works now ron you've talked about this with me offline for several years and so i've i've Asked you come on and be the expert because true story, Nick and I watched Puppet Master and both texted each other going, "Did you get any of that? I don't really understand what happened." And I felt like we needed to bring in an expert.
2: I mean, your first, uh, your first problem is that you're looking for some sort of plot. <laughs> that that's your number one mistake. What these movies basically are is a showcase for Richard Band's music and a showcase for what's probably an incredibly profitable line of toys and miniatures that uh, Charles Band used to buy a castle in Italy.
0: Wow. Now, I mean, that's almost like Tommy was so level, you know, (laughs) ingenious plotting this guy has.
2: (laughs) Say what you want to about the relative merits of Charles Band as a producer, a director and, uh, you know, a writer. But uh, one thing he is great at is marketing. Like he has kept full moon alive for decades just based on the power of cool VHS boxes, cool DVD boxes, a streaming service, and awesome looking
0: puppets. I mean, yeah, it's all just concept, right? It, it reminds me of the tales back when Brian and I were doing the Leprechaun movies, that they sold Leprechaun in Space strictly off of a poster where they stuck the Leprechaun's face on the Apollo 13 poster. Like, they didn't have a script, they didn't have nothing. They just sold it on that and it got the movie financed. And I'm like, the concept here, I don't know how it hadn't been thought of by 1989 at this point. Evil puppets, run amuck. You know, let's get some psychics and some demon stuff and woo, you know. <laughs> well, I think we've had we
1: mean we had some kind of like evil puppet stuff. I mean, you can't forget, you know, child's play, which was a doll. Yeah. And, even like uh, – man, what was that like old anthology movie with like the little uh, tiki guy or whatever, the little uh – uh Oh, the, the ah, Zuni that. fetish doll. Yeah, 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 that. I mean so there was kind of like this and that. Trilo- it, it,
2: Trilogy of Terror.
1: That's it. That's it. So like you know, as Ronald was saying like with Full Moon and I, I subscribed to their streaming service for the full seven-day trial and just kind of going through their catalog, it seems like Full Moon is basically like we're going to make movies – on things that are going to be kind of cool collectibles for people that are into that market. So, you know, you like a lot of horror fans. They like, Oh, I'm going to collect like the Jason or Freddie dolls and stuff. And these movies seem like it's really just kind of, we're going to forget about all that baggage from the first couple movies like they do. And we're just going to make stuff that's directly going to be doll stuff that you guys can buy. and all the collectors can buy. And some of the stuff looks pretty cool. I mean, I even watched demonic toys the other night. Uh, don't, but <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the, the monsters in there were, you know, kind of, Cool looking, I guess. So I guess it kind of fits that market.
0: You see, I like, I missed Demonic Toys completely because, but I was friends with a guy in middle school and high school who was into this band called Dangerous Toys, which is kind of like a metal band or whatever from the 80s or whatever. Got a great singer, by the way, and had, had some cool songs. But the, like, the cover of their albums for this real evil looking. Pennywise looking clown thing jumping out of a jack in the box. I don't know, but it every time I yep. heard demonic toys, I was like, that's like dangerous. So I just conflated those two in my head, never watched it. I know I've seen Puppet Master before I we started you know, getting ready to do this review, but I don't remember anything about it. I just remember that the lead puppet, which I think they call Blade, who has a hook for one hand and a knife for the other hand, just reminded me so much of the bad guy Rostov from Invasion USA. And I understand he's actually based off Klaus Klinsky, which is funny. But, I mean, he he just reminded me of that, like the face of that puppet. And that's all I've ever remembered about any of these.
2: Well, you know who uh, Blade looks like to me, Jay, is he's the killer in every Giallo movie. Oh, yeah. He's got a black coat. He's got a floppy hat. He's got a blank expressionless face or a mask. And then he's got a knife in one hand and a hook in the other.
0: Yeah, I, 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 it's just a striking image. and That's the puppet that's on every poster and every cover, and I think he's in every movie, too. Um, at least the ones I've seen, because I will say, guys, I did go down the Puppet Master rabbit hole for this. I've seen like four of them at this point. Um and, and just to try and understand what was going on, and I have no clearer understanding, but I will say I've been thoroughly entertained <laughs> for a little bit just to play my hand a little early. Uh, but yeah, so this was one to go back to I guess for me because I do remember seeing this, but I don't remember anything about it, and it was all just sort of fresh to try and get you know into this thing. And I have to say that when I watched it the first time before I did the seven day trial on Full Moon that you did, Nick. Uh, I actually watched the Elvira version of this because that was what I had to rent on Vudu. So I got to watch um, Elvira jump on the screen and talk about scenes that were happening as they were happening.
1: I, I that would have I might have preferred that. It <laughs> actually sounds pretty good.
0: I mean,
2: if if you like cleavage, it's great. <laughs> and who I gotta, doesn't? <laughs> I, I got to say that that Sandra Peterson has held up really well over the years.
0: Um, yeah. No, yeah. That shtick has been going on a long time and she knows how to work it. That is for sure. Uh, but it was it was just weird because but I remember it really taking me out of the movie every time. And then I remembered like, what am I being taken out of exactly? In fact, I think this is what my wife said. Exactly. She's like, why are you <laughs> watching this version of it? So it was the only one that was available. And she's like, OK. And I said, well, it's kind of ruining my concentration. She was like concentrating on what? So, uh, yeah, so it was it was definitely not Rachel's alley, but she suffered through it with me Um, and we'll get into maybe some more thoughts as we get into this thing. But no, I you know, the Elvira version was fine. When I got it on the full moon, I will say what's streaming on full moon right now is like remastered, which means they've redone the sound. And cleaned up the picture a little bit. And it does look really cool. And we'll talk about the music in in a bit. Because I do have a lot of thoughts about Richard Band's script and things. But I guess we should get into the movie. And I think this is maybe, again, is one where people are familiar with this. But they may not really know what the plot was. Or if there was a plot. So, Ron, I've I've asked you to please try to explain to us and the audience what in the heck is Puppet Master.
2: Please. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll, I'll do my best here. All right. In 1939, a nice little old man named Andre Toulon toils away, making puppets that appear to be sentient in some way. When some mysterious men in black coats, Nazis, (laughs) arrived seemingly to kill him, Toulon is warned by his puppets ahead of time, so he hides them away and the instructions on how to bring them to life inside a secret passage in the wall before blowing his own brains out. Fifty years later, in 1989, four psychics, Alex, who looks like Dime Store Val Kilmer, Dana, who looks like every carnival grifter you've ever seen, <laughs> Frank, who looks like if cocaine was a person, and Carissa, who has this magic who has the magic psychic power of horniness, each received disturbing visions, which they conclude was sent by a former colleague, Neil Gallagher, who looks like one of the guys Patrick Bateman killed. <laughs> they all meet they all meet together at the Bodega Bay Inn where Gallagher was staying with his wife Megan, and then they learned Neil killed himself in the same way as Toulon. Although they don't know Toulon blew his brains out, we know that. Toulon's puppets, now free, proceed to murder everyone in the hotel until only Alex and Megan remain. Gallagher then reveals himself as sort of alive and confronts the two survivors. Gallagher explains and explains and explains that while he did die, he used Toulon's secret formula to give himself eternal life. As Gallagher fights with Alex and chases Megan, he mistreats one of the puppets, I believe it is Pinhead, and the others revolt against him. Locking him in an elevator and mercilessly torturing him until he is dead. Yet again, that means Jester provides reaction shots. Blade stabs him in the hand. Uh,
0: Leech Lady t- throws some leeches on him.
2: Leech Lady <laughs> spits leeches on him. Tunneler bores bore a hole into his head, and so on and so forth. You get to see what every everything the puppets do, and Jester is sort of the conscience of the puppets because he's the one whose facial expressions turn from like happy to sad to like angry when he sees pinhead getting slapped around anyway gallagher is dead and alex returns home to his lucrative side career of dressing like iceman and appearing at children's (laughs) parties megan now alone heads upstairs carrying a taxidermy dog somehow in between picking the dog up and sitting the dog down on the stairs it comes back to life which indicates that either she has learned andre toulon's secret method and is the new puppet master or she's been taken over by Neil's evil spirit.
0: That is a quite a plot summary. And I must say much more coherent than the 92 minutes that is laid in front of us uh, here, because wow, uh, there is so much to unpack about this. And yet, When you unpack it, you will. it's like eating a Twinkie. You think, this is going to be awesome, like a deep-fried Twinkie. And then you have it, and you're like, that was really not what I thought it was going to be. (laughs) There really wasn't anything to it when I unwrapped it, but I did have it. I I do think you did a great job of summarizing, though, how they finally take out the guy in the elevator and how each puppet basically decides to do a full NWO heel turn, and they all take turns beating him down in the middle of the ring. That's That's exactly what I was thinking of when I watched that.
2: Well, that's the the whole thing about the puppets and why they were they've been able to make like 12 movies out of them is that the puppets themselves aren't evil. They just follow the whims of the puppet master. If you've got a good puppet master like uh, Greg Sestero in the puppet master that he's in, puppets do good things like kill Nazis. If you've got a bad puppet master like uh, Neil Gallagher, puppets do bad things like murder people who aren't Nazis.
1: Yeah. So you're what you're saying is if I was the puppet master, these guys would be like sitting around making burritos for me all day.
2: Basically, yeah. <laughs> okay,
1: gotcha. Now and, and, it sort of makes sense.
2: And let me tell you, with that knife hand blade can make some make a hellaciously good guacamole. That's a good idea.
0: <laughs> I I was just thinking with the tunnelers things, man, like you could fix your sinkhole, Nick, and your pergola and all kinds of things. Like he could be useful to you. So leech lady, I don't know what you could do with her. Like I you know sicker well, on your weird neighbor. I don't know if you're, well, if your bodily humors are
2: out of balance, she can help you with bleeding and, and sort that out.
0: It's true. <laughs> so, so lots of things to get into here as we go. And I think the fact that this movie knows exactly what it is and throws us right into the beginning. The first note I I made that's not on the note sheet you guys are reading, but the first thing I wrote down was a plus on the score. I got to say for low rent horror movies, like the scores tend to be eh, mixed bags. Like I couldn't tell you what the Critter score or any of the Leprechaun scores sound like or any of that stuff. I the Puppet Master score is notable. Like that that's right up there. That's just as good as Freddy and and Jason, in my opinion.
2: I listened to uh, a lot of times when I was writing and I had uh, satellite TV. I'd listen to the uh, the movie scores channel. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's like Channel 8 or 900. It's way up there. But it just plays Legends of Movie scores. And one of the things they would play in amongst all the Danny Elfman was this very song, like the opening credit scene from Puppet Master. Hmm. Which is a pretty Danny Elfman y.
0: It is, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, and I was surprised how decent the score was. I mean, when you think automatically, like it's going to be, okay, it's direct home video, it's going to be you know, a bunch of songs that are free online or something, you know, songs that are public use or whatever. And yeah, I was surprised. It was actually a, you know, a score that actually had some, you know, memorabilia, you know, you could actually remember some of the tune. you know, some of the bars to it. So I was shocked when, you know, at least when the opening theme came on, I was like, wow, this is almost like a real movie right now.
2: Right. Well, I I imagine a lot of that is they had help with uh, from Paramount to, well, one of the reasons why Jay, you had to rent this online uh, with through the Elvira version, and why I watched the Elvira version free on Tubi, is because uh, Paramount still owns the rights to the original Puppet Master. They sold Puppet Masters two, three, and four back to Charles Band, but since they've got Puppet Master, uh, I'm sure that they also helped out a little bit with things like providing musicians to record the score, rather than just you know getting Richard Band a, a, a access to a good synthesizer.
0: Well, yeah, but that's the thing is, is what he's doing here. It's still in that John Carpenter minimalist thing, but it's got some of those uh, circus flourishes that Danny Elfman does. You're right to call that out. And I like it. It, it sets a mood. I mean, we, we have this beautiful Bodega Bay Inn, right? And you've got Crazy Uncle Lewis from Christmas Vacation carving into a puppet. I mean, like, what What could I not want? And I'm also being treated to the fact that I think you've called about two Nazis or some men in black something are walking to this hotel very deliberately. So clearly they're up to no good. And there's, uh, we get puppet vision, like, in the first minute. Like, there's no doubt that Blade is running around sort of hyper squealing and is going to go warn Master about. Okay, okay. i got going to cut
1: you off here, Jay. How the hell is no one seeing this shit? <laughs> okay, you got. You're seeing these guys. Okay, they're not like. Okay, if they were like mouse sizes, I'd be like, okay, I could kind of believe that. But they're they're decent size. I mean, what are these guys like? Eight inches tall, something around there. And they're running around this hotel room like with no shits given. And I mean, they're running through the dining room, jumping on. They're doing like parkour everywhere, and no one's the wiser to seeing these damn puppets going everywhere. I think somebody would have saw them.
2: It's even worse than you than you're saying. They're not eight inches tall. Like Jester is like almost two feet tall. So these are like
0: (laughs) big puppets. Yeah. These are like children running about. All I can say in in response to that is that this is a rather densely populated hotel. And the only people we see are at the bar. And then there is that one lady in the hallway that sees Blade and like she freaks out and he has a freak out with her. And that was it. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I got the sense that like he was hugging the corners. You know, and just sort of jumping along stuff and then he runs across the piano. And I mean, it's exactly what I would expect a puppet to do. Like I, look, I went in with again, no memory of this movie and like the, the lowest of expectations possible. Right. So I'm just like, whatever. And I'm just going with this and I'm going, well, you know what? That's actually kind of clever that the movie makers don't try to fool us with this is going to be serious. Like, look, I saw that child's play remake and it's fine or whatever. But part of the problem with that movie is it takes itself way too darn seriously. And this movie from the get go says, nah, we we know, we know where we are. We're just going to be this way. And the fact that they throw us right in like that, I like it. I thought it was fun.
2: Well, they throw us right in and they don't try to like hide the fact that this movie is going to be about puppets that move around on their own. Like we see the puppets, like, Are sentient immediately in the film yeah because Jester's watching uh, looking out the window right so that's that's one of the good things about Charles Band is that he doesn't try to uh, shoot around the limitations of his budget he's not trying to like hide a monster in the rain or something like that he's going to say you want to see a movie about puppets here's some puppets man we'll just start out with some puppets then we'll work back to more puppets
0: can we talk about David W. Allen, too? He's now passed away, but was the special effects person on this who had not worked with puppets in the past. And the way he went about shooting these things and doing this for a $400,000 movie, I mean, it, it's pretty good. The stop motion and everything they do. I mean, some of that stuff, it took, like, hours to do, like, four seconds.
2: Yeah, and it's, and it's really smooth. Uh, at least I thought so. And I... Even like the way they're able to really do a good job of, for example, cutting around uh, when Pinhead's hands are human hands and when they're puppet arms.
0: Right. And they've got the little person in there who's basically his hands. And stuff like that when she's doing that, that role. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I got into it because I thought, well, this is funny. And then, you know, he shows up and it's almost like the puppets out of breath, which I did get a huge kick out of, you know, <laughs> and he's like, he's having a panic attack or whatever. And, and he's like, no, my friend, it'll be okay. We knew this was coming. And I'm like, who's coming? Who's coming for who? And we get out the big suitcase and uh, next thing well, I know, no, we're, we're no, shooting cool ourselves in the head.
1: You, know. you got to bring up, though, this is the, uh, the
0: great uncle from Christmas Vacation. Yes, yes. This is Uncle Lewis who sets the tree <laughs> on fire. Yes. So, Which, I look, I wouldn't have known him from anything else. I'm sure he had a marvelous career in the 30s, but, you know.
1: Yeah, it's this. Uh, it was Christmas Vacation, and there was one segment of a Stephen King anthology with a cat that he was in. What's and that's that? all I remember him from. Are you talking about you cats, huh? cat's eye that's it yeah, yeah, which, it
0: like yeah which people can listen to in the archives like, yeah you and yeah, i try to parse guy, that out yeah where the <laughs>
1: cat went into the guy's stomach it was that one he was kept on like killing him and his old sisters oh
0: huh.
2: you got you guys don't remember him from uh nightmare before christmas i know oh, i know
1: yeah, the, the voice <laughs> of the uh bad scientist
2: yeah mm-hmm. i mean it's a pretty distinctive voice yeah, oh, it's yeah, hard. Totally, I, I do remember him from that.
0: Yeah, it's hard not to miss. But again, it's not. We don't. We're not being anything being explained. We we have no idea what's happening here. But it's disappointing though when he kills himself because I'm like he's the only
1: one in this cast that I knew, and I was like hoping that. We were going to get him like being this like crazy old puppet master being like, "Oh, you're coming into my hotel, Nazis, and I'm going to start killing you with it." That's what I was thinking this movie was going to be about, and then all suddenly the Nazis and him go away. So I was kind of disappointed at that reveal when I'm like, "No, I get the old old uncle killing Nazis with puppets." I'm like, that that would be an awesome movie.
0: Well Maybe Nick, I would, to I would like to recommend it. part three, where he is not the star, yeah. but the character is so. <laughs> Oh, nice.
2: Yeah, that's uh, in later movies. The puppets take a more active role in killing Nazis.
0: Yeah, so it's it's a central plot of, well, three of them at least. So I mean, it's not more, but uh, another day, another day. Back, back to this movie, I, again, I'm, I'm into this. I, I don't know what's happening, but I'm thrown in immediately. And then we flash forward to the only other actor I recognized here. I did recognize Paul Lamont because I've seen American Graffiti and I've seen more American Graffiti. And I think that's the only other two things that anyone would know him from.
2: <laughs> you don't recognize him as the world's foremost uh, fake Val Kilmer.
0: I, I did not until you have said that. I had never thought that, but now I can't get it out of my head, by the way. I mean, he's got top secret hair. He does indeed have the top secret hair. You're right about that. So, and we, I mean, we're, when we meet Alex, he's sitting in his chair in his office. Cause he's an anthropology professor or something. And, uh, good office by the way for a humanities professor and he's having a dream about leeches all over him and i don't know random other weird things and it this movie is just littered with this like it's it's trying to Check be really smart leech. to to unveil itself to us a little bit at a time but it's the idea of we have to now we we've already introduced sentient puppets so now we got to lay psychics on the world and and make sure that everybody can accept that yeah, I was not expecting it to go
1: down the psychic realm. Usually, like, psychics come in, like, part five or six, you know, when they're kind of running out of ideas, kind of like in a, in Jason, where it's like, oh, we're going to have the telekinesic, you know, girl here and everything. So, boy, they, they, they cut right to the uh, supernatural with uh, or the uh, whatever you want to call it with them right away. So that was shocking. And I still like maybe Ron can explain this to me, even after reading, you know, your plot summary is. Why the hell are they here? I'm just, I'm not following this.
2: Uh, They were all involved in some experiment that Gallagher had and they all share some, they all shared some kind of psychic link with him. That's why when he dies, quote unquote, they all start having those weird visions about him. Right. And then, uh, yeah, Dana calls Frank and Carissa. Alex goes to visit uh, Frank and Carissa. They all kind of realize, Hey, we need to go investigate this because we didn't feel this guy we're psychically connected to die.
0: Right. And the thing that they lay out is that Frank and Neil were working on whatever Egyptian mumbo jumbo to used to inanimate the figurines and they but they had kind of hit an impasse and it didn't work anymore. So now the assumption is Neil figured out the formula or whatever, and then we have to get the band back together. So you got Alex who's tucked away in his academic department. You've got Carissa who's down in New Orleans or something, and and being a, a total shyster until she actually gets real visions, which is funny to watch. No, that's that's Dana, and she's that's at Coney Dana. Island. You're right. Go. What did you say? She's at Coney Island. Oh, okay. The fact that. You're right. Dana is the one that's at Coney Island, not New Orleans. I don't know. I think maybe it's her accent that I would thought she was hanging out in New Orleans. That's what it was. But then you've got Frank and Carissa doing Nightmare on Elm Street dream studies and getting off on it, basically. I mean, with that that's the only way to explain that scene.
2: Yeah, it's like a combination of the Nightmare on Elm Street dreams and then like the Kinsey. Uh,
0: Report. Yes, exactly. So you've got all those people together, and they're brought back together because they didn't feel Neil's psychic movements, Nick. And that, and then when they come together, they're still blocked somehow because it's this Megan woman who has to tell them, "Oh, by the way, he's dead." And I love how they do that, they're like, "Oh, you haven't heard," and then they just cut around his casket. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll
1: go. I'll too. go with it. I'll go with it. I. I What a weird setup. I mean, you got – I just – I'm trying to imagine the writer's room here for this and it's like, okay, we got killer dolls in like a hotel and let's bring psychics in here and psychic visions and connections. Okay. 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 I I hear what you're saying.
0: I hear what you're saying, but but hear me out. It's no dumber than a serial killer who knows voodoo who's got shot by the cops who puts his his soul in a doll. All right? It's it's no dumber than that. I mean it's actually a little – it's at least an academic answer. It's not a great one, but But, it's something. But it's – But, but they're two separate entities though is what I'm getting at
1: is like, you kind of got like the evil doll stuff and then you got this whole psychic thing. And like, I'm trying to figure out the connection there between like, why, why these exist together. You know what I mean? Like at least with Chucky, it's not like he was, he did that. And then we find out that Andy is also like telekinesis or something or, or telekinetic or Andy can bench press 500 pounds. He's like a super strong kid. I mean, it's almost like two completely different things and like they're mixing them together. I mean, I've seen it before, like, you know, something like The Shining, which is where, okay, a haunted hotel, but the kids got psychic powers. So, don't you know, they they mix well together. But this, I was just kind of like, huh, I'm not really following why these people are psychic. I thought this was going to be more about like, okay, they're in a hotel and maybe these people come and buy this hotel and they're going to fix it up and then these things get out and kill the, you know, the renovators or something. I don't know. That was well, my thoughts.
2: Well, I can explain it to you based off of other movies in the series. What, what happens is the dolls are animated because inside each of the dolls is a person's soul, so to speak, or their essence or their their mental energy. The dolls are sentient because they're little people who have died and have been put into those doll bodies.
0: And most were like wrongly killed by Nazis. So that's yes. the revenge gotcha. of Toulon is the puppets.
1: So it's almost kind of like Hellraiser in that regard, where you got the Cenobites and their trapped souls that basically in that movie transformed into hideous leather bound S&M creatures. And this one, they're in puppets. Gotcha. Yeah, so that basically. makes that, that, that makes a little bit more sense. I wish that would have been a little bit more clearly explained, I guess, in this one.
0: We we have such wonderful sights to show. You You know, I mean, can you imagine the puppet master and, and the Hellraiser box together? That would have been. How did that not happen, by the way? So well, I was because, actually thinking Puppet, Puppet Master
2: versus Carnosaur that would have been a great series. Well that's because Charles Band doesn't own the rights to Carnosaur. Oh. Charles it, Charles Band was the first dude to to start rolling out those blank versus blank movies.
0: Like tr- he yeah. Was an, you look on the he was an early stuff? adopter. Yeah. Yeah, it's all over this. Like,
2: Doll Man versus uh, Demonic Toys, Puppet Master versus Demonic Toys, uh, Evil Bong versus Ginger Dead Man. If you could have a Charl if you could have a full moon property fight another full moon property in in his castle in Italy or in Romania or somewhere, he was going to do it.
0: So this is like if you get Dario Argento and you mix him with Roger Corman, that's Charles Band.
2: Or if you just had a lower budget, Stuart Gordon.
0: Okay, well there we go. That'll work too. So so back to the movie though, I got to say. I, Of our psychic four here or whatever... Alex is fine. I knew he was the white guy that was going to live to the end. Cause he just looks like it. I knew Frank and Chris were bound to die because one, they're really into sex and they're into weird things. And that's just what they are. I really wanted Dana to live, but I knew that those shoulder pads were not going to make it work. And, and the fact that she was like, you're know, doing essence all over the room and she had a taxidermy dog that she carried with her. I was like, well, you're too cool to live, but I wanted you to, I, I liked our principal forecast here. I'll tell you the one I got nothing off of. And that's, that is Dime Storm Phoebe Cates, whoever plays Megan. That is bad.
2: Yeah, she's definitely a, a black hole of charisma. To tell you the truth, Jay, I don't
1: even really remember which one she is. They all kind of just like, kind of blend together. So...
0: She was the survivor, right? she's the one that lived in the end. She was Neil's wife, so that's. Oh yes, the one with the Pomeranian dog. Yep. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. the, the reanimated gotcha. uh, Dana's Pomeranian. Who? I, why would you carry that around as a totem? I don't know. I mean, I've, I've seen that's, Inception. Weird things are around, whatever.
1: I, being a dog owner and a dog lover, I don't understand that at all. Yeah, so I was,
0: yeah, I was gonna say, like when poor Wyatt goes, he's not gonna be stuffed over in the corner. I hope.
1: So, no, 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 no way in hell I mean that to me that's like the equivalent of like grandma died. Let's stuff her in a corner. It's like,, uh, I don't know I, I don't, yeah, we all I'll, go a little I'll mad die.
0: sometimes, but we don't have to go that mad.
2: So. <laughs> yeah, I was just looking up the Neil's wife, an actress named Robin freights and she did like she was in the arrival, apparently. Oh, do see. you remember the arrival? Yeah, I do remember that. Charlie and, Sheen? Yeah. Yeah. And she was in uh Man's Best Friend, and she was on an episode of Quantum Leap. And yeah, she didn't do much really outside of like a few TV appearances, LA Law, silk stockings, of course. So uh, once you get
1: on Quantum Leap, I mean there's it's only going you're downhill from well, after that. So. It,
0: she was on a silk stockings, man. This half of this episode could be a silk stockings when Frank and Carissa are together. That's um,
1: what it felt like. Thank you. Yeah. I was thinking, I'm like. Yes, this totally feels like one of those like early 90s, late 80s, like weird, you know, Thursday night shows, you know, that was, you know, kind of like moonlighting or something like that. Just with the cinematography, you that that's what was killing me about this movie. I was like, (laughs) this really feels like out of a certain genre. And that's it.
0: Yeah, so we got to talk about the kills here because uh, yeah, Dana's able to sort of ward a little bit of protection so Blade can't get to her. So he's off to Frank and Carissa who are engaged in the sweatiest intercourse I've seen in a 1989 movie. That I mean, of all. <laughs> like, she gets out of the tub and then has sex and gets sweaty. It's usually the other way around.
2: Well, that's that's why I said that this guy looks like if cocaine came to life because he is the sweatiest dude uh, in this entire movie, he's got that sleazy, balding ponytail.
0: Yeah, he looks like one of the horn players from Chicago that you don't know his name. You just know he's always been in the band.
2: <laughs> that's a good that's a good pull.
1: Yeah. And but that the sex scene is bizarre. I mean, I, I remember like when I when I was watching this. And I watched this movie two times, like I said, and I watched the sex scene. It is usually, you know what? I, I'm a guy, whatever. It's like usually when stuff like this comes on, it's kind of like, okay, cool. You know what I mean? You get a little bit of TNA. This was like the driest, most like unprovocative sex scene I think I've seen in a long time. And they got so many damn clothes on. And, you know, I, I get it. People are into different stuff and everything like that. No judgment here. But like. There's got to be a certain amount of like non clothing for that to work, and I don't know how this worked at all. But the weird part is, is like this movie's not shying away from nudity because we did get a couple booby shots in the tub, and she's wearing basically an outfit that's see through. So I don't know. It's just like the most bizarre, really untitillating sex scene I think I've seen since The Specialists. So. Well, we'll put, okay,
0: yeah. Well, p- part of it is um, these two people have no chemistry together whatsoever, and on no earth can I imagine a world where they would be together at all. And they've done nothing to sell me that this works or whatever, except for the fact that Frank is really creepy because I mean, he's talking about like, Oh yes, we you know, he was on the phone earlier with Alex. Yes. We felt the movement and he puts his hand on her shoulder and she gives him this look like, well, sort of, you know, <laughs> I <mean>, she's <laughs> so bored with him the whole time to that point. She drops off of him when she hears noises under the bed in the middle of, so it couldn't have been that good.
1: Yeah, I mean if you can hear like some little rustling underneath the bed when you're in the middle of it, uh I don't know. You might be doing it with a corpse. I don't know. That's that's bizarre. But he keeps on talking about like sexual aids too, like, oh, we're gonna try all this and that. I I guess I don't know.
2: It's was just <laughs> it's just a really weird scene. Part part of I think why it's such a weird scene is that it's played for laughs because we mostly see how they're annoying the other people around them. Yeah. And then he's like tied up and he's got the weird thing over his eyes and she's basically fully dressed, albeit in a sheer outfit. And one of the things that, that I noticed when I watched this movie the second time, because I watched it twice, too, but for fun, is that when they're having sex, the sheet is between them.
0: Yeah. So, so I was like thinking like a
2: it's Curb your enthusiasm
1: skit where it's like you got to have a blanket with a hole in it. <laughs>
2: No, but now we know where Larry
0: David got it from. So.
2: <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, maybe he's uh, Orthodox Jewish, and that's where all that comes
0: from. I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but she does crawl off the bed, as we've now talked about, and we get the Tunneler to do his thing, which, I mean, like, if Pauly from the Rocky series were turned into a puppet, I kind of think he would be the Tunneler.
2: But I well, don't they- think... Tundler is drunk enough to be. Well, he looks young.
0: like it though. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, but they totally missed the setup here. I mean, if they they want to make a schlocky horror movie that's got some outrageous kills, I mean, they're having sex and you got a puppet called the Tundler. I mean, put two and two together here, guys. As far as like how he could have killed them both. You know what I mean? But that's the
0: thing. They do go for that just on the reverse. Yes, you're right, Nick. Uh, Other places you would have the tunneler tunnel through her and it would just be that. But he tunnels through her mouth as it is. And dude on the bed, Frank, has no idea what's going on. He just hears, you know, he doesn't hear the blood curdling you know, stuff going on or the bone crunching that would occur with that. And then the leech lady crawls up and she starts doing that. I can only describe it as the voices that the Vietnamese hookers make in Full Metal Jacket voice (laughs) on Frank as she spits leeches onto him. And he finally realizes what is happening, that he is not being uh, pleasured. He is being murdered slowly by leeches. One, like... That's a twist on things. You have the female doll do the kill on the guy instead of the guy do the you know the kill on the woman. I've, when I was
1: little, I remember you know going in some lakes that I shouldn't have gone into. And I've gotten leeches on me before. It's usually not like you can't even feel them half the time. So these must be some really demonically possessed leeches that she's spitting out of her.
2: Well, he doesn't even really seem to notice the leeches until there's like multiple leeches on him.
0: Yeah, and the big the the, the the cutaway is when she goes under the sheet cuz you know where that next one's going just like the dude in Stand by Me. You know? So <laughs> That was the coup de but that you're right to call this out, Ron. This is totally played for laughs. And that is a different setting when people are getting their, you know, feet cut off and there's blood and all. That. It, it's it's a different tone to set, but it it works. I'm not going to say I didn't chuckle the whole time.
2: Yeah, I thought it was funny. Um, uh, I especially liked um, how they thought that uh, his dying screams were noises of pleasure.
0: Right. It's like, well, that's finally that, over.
2: You get that rea- that reaction shot from a very disgusted looking uh, Paul Ma- Paul Lamette.
0: Yes, he's probably asking himself, "Why did I do this?" So, oh yes, I was looking for work, so I answered the phone, but. I, what I also love is the gag of how Gallagher's body keeps disappearing out of his casket, and then into different places. And what we basically figure out is that Penhead has so much strength that he can pick him up and move him around. And I mean, there's so much imagery they've got a they've got a picture of the Last Supper on the front of the casket where he's laying. I'm like, oh well, we're we're just leaning into that resurrection motif just hard left.
1: In case you didn't know, right?
0: Right. But I love how they keep setting him up. It's like he's weekend at Bernie's or something.
2: Now, are are the puppets moving him or is he just getting up and moving around to mess with these people? Because he's been reanimated the puppet powers this whole time.
0: Yeah, you know what? I was going to ask you that question. I thought Pinhead was moving around. But now that you say that, maybe he's just doing it to screw with him. I think he
2: was just moving around to screw with him personally.
1: Now I'm wishing that this would have been like a weekend of Bernie's three where maybe like the puppets are actually like walking around like inside of him or something and making him move around like that would have been pretty damn cool. If you would have saw like Pinhead like working his arms and everything behind there like, oh, I'm going to have a cup of tea or a drink with these people. And they're none the wiser. So
0: Bernie versus <laughs> the puppet puppet master where Jonathan Silverman looks exasperated in the third act. Sign me up. I'm down.
1: Yep. Well, yeah. What could have been?
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> would have totally worked. But no, I, I love how Gallagher's body keeps reappearing. Ground like we've talked about, and when Pinhead attacks her, man, he beats the crap out of her. But she gives pretty good. I mean, I I like the fact that you know they make a fight between a foot and a half tall puppet and a five foot ten woman. Seemed like it could be a bit of a fight. Like, you know, he breaks her ankle and, you know, he's hitting her on the arm and he's punching her in the face and she's pushing it back. And I love how she finally does what everybody in the audience is saying throw it over the banister. And she does. Which,
2: that, I like that because you don't see somebody do the most reasonable thing to deal with this tiny threat, which is to hurl it. And several times you get the puppets thrown across rooms, into walls, uh, over the banister, thrown into the elevator. They're tossing these puppets around left and right. Um, Later on, you see Neil just pull the head off a pinhead. But while it doesn't stop the puppets, it does delay them. And it shows that rather than shooting around the obvious solution to this problem, they go ahead and, and just do it head on.
0: Right, but it still doesn't matter because Blade's still able to get the drop on her. And that is the slowest kill scene of all time when he slices her throat.
2: And
1: that's one thing you got to remember, though, if anybody listening to this ever comes across like a demo- demonic toy or something like that or like a possessed puppet, leverage is key. If you can pick them up, they're done, okay? Because then you can throw them, you can rip them apart or something. Just get away, just like with uh, Pinhead, it's like you take away his leverage, he's done. So I just I, uh, the more you know <laughs>
0: I did not know we were going to do Krav Maga versus puppets today, but I'm glad we did. Like we're <laughs> educational now. Like, that, that is awesome. So to save the life. I, right. So, so Blake kills her. Right. And then it's finally for the big reveal. And I love how you said it in the plot summary, Ron, that Neil is going to explain and explain and explain and explain some more. But first we get some divisions, right? Like we see, you know, they're in a big white room uh, with, with black curtains and he's got a gun and he's going to shoot Megan. And then he's dancing with somebody. And I don't, I don't know, all kinds of weird things happen before uh, Neil and Megan team up to do Scooby Doo investigations around this hotel.
2: Yeah, and you get one of my pet peeves, which is the dream within a dream
0: mm-hmm.
2: thing, and you get that. But it did lead to a pretty funny uh, setup of where Elvira was making fun of that uh, <laughs> later on.
0: It was probably her best so. cut-in, yes, I admit. So. <laughs> so Neil's big reveal is that he died metaphysically, uh, which means he died. Okay, that's all that means. But he used the Toulon secrets to be immortal, and he's, quote, bored with puppets. So he's got all of his friends there so he could kill them and then reanimate them. And what he's done is set them up Texas Chainsaw Massacre style around this big table. They're all bloody and, you know, whatever. And it's... I still am trying to understand why he's explaining this to his wife and his friend and not killing them. Why is he doing the Bond villain thing?
2: Because it's a movie? Question mark?
1: Because there are puppets in this movie?
0: Yeah. Yeah, None of these answers are working. (laughs)
1: Well, there you go. That's your that, that's the answer to your question.
0: Well,
2: I get the I get the feeling that Gallagher has always been an egomaniac and assuming he's coming from an academic background, I don't know people who like to hear themselves talk more than academics.
0: Also true, and it's also you called him out as being one of Patrick Bateman's uh, potential victims. Um, he is also what cocaine would look like if it was a person before it became Frank. Um, yeah, he's he's very slick back. He's got the Gordon Gecko hair.
2: Yeah, he's East Coast cocaine, and Frank is West Coast cocaine.
0: There you go. Yes, that's what it is. And so he's (laughs) he's doing all this, and he's contacting them so they wouldn't take the secret from him. Because yes, these people were so constantly, you know, mind thumping each other, going, "Have you figured out the secret to puppet life yet?" They, the sense you got is that they hadn't talked in years at this point. But whatever. and so he's going to bring them together for human experiments. And he's so disgusted with puppets that he I think he throws Jester first. And that's when the puppets start going like, oh, really? That's how this is going to be. And then we get what I can only describe as one of the strangest close quarter fight scenes in an elevator I've ever seen filmed. <laughs> I mean, the way they gang up on this dude to take him down and you know, he's bleeding green. its I, its It's all the disgusting that you could want it to be.
2: Yeah, I thought it was way better than that fight in Captain America: Winter Soldier, <laughs> or as good, but in a, in a different way. Because yeah, yeah you know, like uh, like the like we've said, the the solution to puppets is leverage. But when there's one of you and five of them, you can't. You can only hold two at a time.
0: What's the rule in Zombieland? Like numbers matter, you know. <laughs> Get it taken advantage. Or you know what? The problem was is when he dropped from the ceiling. He gave up the Obi Wan high ground, and that's you're done when you do that. It's just over.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, and that blade is armed, you know. Yeah. Always armed.
1: This is true. He's always armed. And all and all, I'm thinking is like, you know what? Just pretend you're on fire. You know, stop drop and roll. Just start rolling around like crazy. You're gonna roll <laughs> over a couple
2: of them.
0: Well, let me ask do you, you:
2: Do you really, but do you really want to roll over the one that's got a knife for a hand, or the guy with a drill in his head? If uh, the dr- drill in the head,
1: maybe not so much, but even the you, knife in the hand—I mean, that's like an Exacto blade size. You'll live, you know. You're going to get a little flesh wound. I've been stabbed by someone with an Exacto knife; it's not the worst thing in the world. So you'll, no, you'll get,
2: its definitely bigger than an Exacto knife. It's at least the size of a steak knife. Yeah, I mean, it, he stabs him—he yeah. stabs him in the hand later, and then like leaves the knife behind. And it's long enough to impale his hand into the floor.
0: Yeah, he cuts see, fingers just, off. The
1: scale of these guys just seem like they're all over the place. I don't know. I've I got a pretty big exacto knife. I'm still going with that. So
0: <laughs> all all I know is that he is getting the beatdown happening. But in the process of this, like you see these flashes between Neil and Megan, and it's why I ask: Is he like transferring his conscience into her actively? Is that what? ultimately happens at the end of this or was she just in on this all along was she the puppet master
2: uh, that's a great question and I have no sufficient answer for you
0: and I can tell um, you there's not one in the sequels. so we're, we are here to debate this
1: <laughs> yeah let's just go with that that she was the big bad all along I guess it makes it more interesting
0: well it kind of does but then it also doesn't really work because she just lets Alex go I mean, like, I'm sorry your friends are dead. Goodbye. I mean, he's well, just like, it's well, kind of like natural
1: born killers. You got to let somebody survive to tell the story, right? I,
0: get, I mean, I don't know. Was he like, well, I got a class on Tuesday. I got to get back. I mean, <laughs> what's he going to go do? I, I don't know. Paul and Matt just sort of walks off the set like, uh, I was here. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's very sad to watch him you know, droopy off the set um, as Megan reanimates a dog that was stuffed. Yeah, and I guess maybe
1: that's one of the parts I miss. So they they kill this guy in the elevator, and then what? Like, what 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 becomes of them?
0: Well, yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Is we don't see like puppet cleanup or disposal. Like, what D- did he own the hotel? Like, I I'm confused as to how do we explain this to the authorities or do we well, She she know. she owns the hotel. Oh, okay, so she could just sweep all this under the rug, you know, overlook style, and and move on
2: yeah I mean and clearly this is yeah clearly, this isn't a popular hotel, so I imagine they've got time to you know hide all this,
0: yeah true it's very plus, it's about as popular as like the he's, great he's, Muppet caper hotel, yeah, well, and he's no longer a person, so you're
2: just mopping up a bunch of yellow goo,
0: had he gone through like full embalming and stuff, or is that just we're just supposed to think he turns into green goo because he's possessed by evil?
2: well, I think that that goo is the the solution that. Animates the puppets.
0: Oh, that's right. It is a liquid. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Because we, I forgot there is a little like this green dye stuff that's running around. So, huh? Maybe it's some of the stuff that shot out of the globy thing in my science project too. It's all part of the same alien conspiracy. When it's all said and done, who knows? That could have been another great (laughs) crossover, by the way. But anyway, Alex leaves the next morning. Megan reanimates the dog, and da da da. da. You know, then we get that great score again, and then we're out of here. And I mean, it's ninety two minutes. It's fleet. And, and we're done. But I, I can't say I wasn't left with more questions than I had answers to, which is why I went to the sequels. And if for any of the curious that would want to know, I mean, I think if you just watch the first three, you kind of get all of the answers that could possibly be. Is that fair, Ron? Yeah,
2: that's, that's fair. Um, uh, one thing I will say, as a both a positive and a negative for Charles Band, is he leaves no idea on the table. If he can come up with an idea to use the stuff he's got laying around, He's going to do it. So, but I think Puppet That's Master... That's all the Versus movies, right? Yeah, but I think that Puppet Master, like one, two, and three, tell a pretty decently concise story by Charles Band standards.
0: Yeah, loose terms, loose terms. But you're, you're right. There There's a through line if you want to know it. That is how to get the answers, because you won't get it from this one. But was this satisfying? Was it worth it? Let's see. It's time on the podcast to give final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. So what are yours for Puppet Master? Nick.
1: Um, oh, this is a tough one. You know, I'm trying to debate between a small and a medium popcorn. It's not the worst thing I've ever seen. I mean, but it's not the best, but it's like just slightly below average, but just so I don't lump it in with some of the really, really bad movies that I watched because I did watch it twice. And there's a lot of movies that were small popcorns that I could barely even get through. So to say that I could watch it twice and watch it all the way through twice, at least brings it up to a medium popcorn. So for me, it's a medium popcorn. It's, you know, something that's, I call it a Saturday afternoon movie. You know, maybe go in the fall, have some apple cider, watch some killer puppets go run around and, you know, I don't know, watch some weird sex scenes, I guess. So it's a, it's, it's a medium popcorn for me. I
0: mean, if you're a fan of Tennessee football, you have nothing left to watch this fall. So Puppet Master's right for you. Okay, Ron. <laughs> and the Puppet
2: Master movie has a smaller body count than the last uh, Tennessee game. <laughs> True. <laughs> So for me, I'm going to say that Puppet Master is a large popcorn. I enjoyed it more on this most recent rewatch than I did the last time I watched it. Um, I enjoy the cheapness of Charles Band. And I and I actually kind of enjoy a lot of the things that uh, David Schmoller does in the director's chair. Uh, he doesn't get great performances out of some of the actors like Robin Freight's. But he does well enough with the people that are pretty good to uh, establish these characters. You may not remember their names. I I certainly don't. But they're they're all distinct looking and distinct acting people. And and that's important in this movie because the the most important part of the movie isn't the people. The most important part of the movie is the puppets. And I think that despite his pedigree as a silk stockings director, speaking of the awkward sex scenes, David Schmoller did a lot of Silk Stockings episodes, which kind of explains why that scene is shot in that particular way. It really does, yes. Despite that, I I think that it's a movie that works really well, and it doesn't take the focus off of what we're all there for, which is to watch puppets murder reprehensible people. So, large popcorn, for sure.
0: I gotta say, I'm surprised that this is not small popcorn. For any of us and and mostly for me too. Like I figured Rod, you would, you would be the fan of it because you, you are the fan of these. And I thought Nick would, I, I summarized the same thing. I was like, this is not even the worst thing I've ever had Nick watch. So, or that he's even come up with to watch. So it's already there, but I'm surprised that I liked it as much as I did to the point that I let my seven day subscription go a little longer and I'm just going to keep full moon for a little while and live with puppet master in my. In my world, I just think I need to watch a few of these. I really enjoyed this. Now, it's not great, okay? And it's definitely got a lot of problems, but the score's good. The effects are great for the time and for the money they spent. And it's more or less exactly what I wanted it to be. And for that, it's the good kind of medium popcorn. I use medium a lot to, you know, damn movies that I think are just failing because they, they don't live up to potential. Well, this one far exceeded its potential. Far, so it's a good medium popcorn, and I'm glad I watched it. And I, I mean, again, someday down the line, it would be fun to go back and maybe pick up two and three, and just you know, maybe we could talk about it again. But even if if it never do on the show, I'm glad I've watched them, and I would recommend check this one out. If you skipped it because you thought, eh, this isn't going to be, there's no way this could be any good, you're right, there's no way it can be any good, but it can be a whole lot of fun, and this movie is a lot of fun. So. It's a fun way to kick off Shocktober here, guys. And like I said at the beginning, we're doing four episodes this month. We usually do, you know, two and maybe a session show, but we decided to do two extra episodes with our friends and special guests from the Dana Buckler show and the feature 20th century movie club. Dana and Mike are joining Ron and I the next two weeks for a couple of reviews. We're doing Stir of Echoes, the Kevin Bacon supernatural thriller. And then we did 1998's Gus Van Zant remake A Psycho.
2: Yeah, that was a that was a, a good time.
0: Yeah, it's real fun to to hang out with Dana and Mike, and they're going to be on each of those shows. And then we're wrapping up October or October nineteen. With Brian and I reviewing Halloween 2018. We were on a hiatus last year when that was out. We decided let's go back, pick up the Halloween movie. And that is our four pack for Shocktober. And the only thing we're asking for you to do in return for this is please subscribe to our show and tell other people about it. Share it on your social media feeds. You can find us on Twitter at Filmstrip Pod. You can go on Facebook and find the Filmstrip Podcast page. Please let other people know this about the show because it helps us get the word out. And we have a lot of fun doing it. So before I let you guys go, Ron, tell folks how they can find you your stuff here in the month of October as we are uh, heading into horror season proper.
2: You can find me at denofgeek.com and denofgeek.us. I'll be doing The Walking Dead. I'll be doing American Horror Story. I'll be doing uh, the Purge TV series when that rolls around. Uh, I will be a very busy person in October because I am stupid. I'm still not on social media, but if you do want to
1: find me, you can probably find me on my couch now watching uh, episodes of Silk Stockings (laughs) that I just found out is on Hulu. So (laughs) that's where I will be.
2: You can find uh, Nick on YouTube via his Silk Stockings retrospectives that he's going to be starting. (laughs) Yes,
1: he's launching that. Do not even tempt me to do that because you know I will.
2: (laughs) Or just put out like a 30-minute compilation of the best – Bad sex scenes and murders.
0: <laughs> well, folks, thanks again for joining us on this latest episode of film Of course, go to filmstrippodcast.com. You can find links to all the podcasts, the archives, leave us a review wherever you find the show. We appreciate the support and come back again next week. We'll have Dana Buckler on from the Dana Buckler show. Michael be on the following week. And then Brian and I'll be back at the end of shocktober 19 to wrap it all up for you here. So until next time for Ron and Nick, I'm Jay. Thank you for listening to film